Let's turn to our Bibles. Second letter of Peter, first chapter. We'll just read the first 11 verses. Let's hear the word of God. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. And beside this, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he who lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off, has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fail. You shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As far the word of God to us, let's call for a blessing as we hear his word. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray, go with us as we walk through this passage that we just read, enlighten our understanding by our Holy Spirit. And your fatherly providence, as you've brought here each one of us, sent by you to know you, not just with head knowledge, but also with our hearts, our affections, our entire lives. Lord, that truly we would not only look to Jesus to be saved, but also look to him to become more and more likened to him, to love you above all, and to love each other as we already love ourselves. Lord, that we may be not just hearers, but also doers of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear congregation, 
As I already mentioned in prayer, I do not know you and you not, do not know me. But the main question is not so much do we know each other, but do we know God? Do you know God? Not just know about God, but know God. You know, Peter's first letter, he warns us about dangers and attacks from the outside. And the emphasis there is on grace. In his second letter, he warns us about dangers and attacks from the inside. And the emphasis there is knowledge. So the question is to know, to be ready for both grace and knowledge. That's why I believe Peter ended the second letter, the third chapter is only a very short letter, right? But grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace, first letter, and the knowledge, the second letter, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because to know him is to know God. So with God's help, we want to just consider this. And, and remember that uh, and when you read this letter, second letter, that the word know or knowledge appears 13 times in this letter. Just want to read verse 2 again, 2 Peter 1. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So our theme is knowing God. It starts with faith. It develops other graces. And it produces practical blessings. So it starts with faith. We read verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained or received like precious faith, the same kind of faith with us, through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a gift. Faith itself and all that it produces is a gift of God. When Peter and the other apostles, when I grew up, I always thought that they had such an advantage to people back then. They could see Jesus' children. That's how I grew up. I, I was thinking about, oh, if only I could, could have seen Jesus. I would have believed. But then at some point I realized that many people saw Jesus, but they did not believe. I'm not saved by sight, but by faith. But everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus has the very same faith as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the saints of the Old and the New Testament. The same faith. King James says, the like precious faith. We'll get to the word in a moment. If indeed we are a believer. So it starts with faith. First of all, in a divine person. The word divine means God. In the person of God. God is three in one. 
and one in three, a divine person. This faith is focused on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, it's very personal. It's relational. It's not just some mysticism. You know, all people, in a way, have faith. Something or someone. They believe in something. What they live for. But a Christian, a true Christian, believes in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, or you could say, God the Son. The Son of God? That might make you think, well, that God has a Son, and He has. But when we say believe in God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, the divine person, And when it says in verses 1 and 2, twice, it says God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean there's two. There's one. Peter's not talking about two different gods, but about the one God who says in John 10, through Jesus' voice, verse 30, I and my Father are one. It's interesting, isn't it? Children, young people, when you say, with, you're telling a story and then you say to your mom, yeah, I am my friend, and your mom says, pardon? Oh, yeah, my friend and I. But Jesus is allowed to say, I and my father. Because they're one, they're equal. I and my father are one. And you remember Thomas First, he didn't believe that Jesus was risen from the dead. But then when he saw Jesus, he said, my Lord and my God. He didn't mean two persons. It was one person. He called him Lord and he called him God. Actually, it's the same one who spoke in Isaiah already. Isaiah 43. I, even I am the Lord. Beside me there is no Savior. In the Hebrew, is no Joshua. Yahweh, who saves, rescues. Joshua, in the Hebrew, is the same as Jesus in Greek. That's why the angel told Joseph to call his, the name of his son, the one that, was, that Mary expected. He says, you will call his name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. So we see here in this passage three aspects of that salvation. The saving knowledge. Righteousness in verse 1. Through the righteousness of God. And verse 2, grace and peace. Righteousness, grace and peace. Not of, not of our own making, but of God through Christ. His gifts to us by means of faith. As Paul says in Ephesians, right? By grace, through faith. Peace with God. The knowledge of God results in peace with God. No longer enemies. Not just friends, but children. 
of our Heavenly Father. So it's the first thing that starts with faith in the divine person, but it also with divine power. Faith in a divine person, and then faith with divine power. Because verse 3, it says, according as his divine power, power of God, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue. All things. If you're a believer, all things already have been given to you that you need. From start to finish, from a life of godlessness to a life of godliness, from being dead in trespasses and sins to being made alive and kept alive by his divine power, by the power of his divine word. It's not just a letter, God speaks. When he speaks, and we confess our sins and put our trust in him, we are alive. John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say to you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life. Not only shall have, but already has it. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. So when God speaks, things come into existence. Just like when God spoke at creation. Out of nothing. God's powerful word. Even as God created us, so he does again when he recreates us. When, he, when we are born again, when we are regenerated, the word generated is the same as what Genesis is beginning creation, recreation. God gave us at that moment all things that pertain, that relate to life and godliness. As Paul says in Colossians 2.10, you are complete in him. That doesn't mean we have arrived but everything we need, we have. All things. In Peter's and John's day, there were false teachers that claimed that you needed some extra experience, some special, high, elevated, esoteric knowledge to be saved. And you could only get it after several years of being a Christian. I would exclude the children would deny the simplicity of faith. They were teaching something like faith plus something. Some kind of higher knowledge. But it's plain that just like a baby is born, has all the basics for life. It just needs to be fed and trained and guided to grow up. Right food, right training. So spiritual babies, 
would grow up to, to glory and virtue, it says, to, to glory and, and, and moral perfection. Grow up in it. To glorify God more and more and to become more and more a reflection of, of who Christ is and who God is. So knowing God starts with faith in a divine person with divine power and then third by divine promises. Because that's how four, verse 4 goes on, whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises. That by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. If it hadn't said it in the Bible, I would hardly dare say that we would become partakers of the divine nature. But God's word says it. Divine promises. So we go from a great need to a great person with a great power and with great promises. Great and precious promises. It's very clear that Peter loves the word precious. He has used it several times. Also in, in his first letter where he speaks about to you or is first in, in chapter 1, verse 19, that even though the gospel is free, it's not cheap. Because the great cost with which it came by Jesus' suffering and death, not with silver and gold, but with his precious blood, he died for us. That's the redemption price. And then in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, it speaks about to you, who believe he, that is Jesus, is precious. And now again here <clears throat> in chapter verse 4 that we are looking at tonight, exceeding great and precious promises. Exceeding great, beyond that we can imagine, beyond that we can even ever need, there is always more. Multiplied, it said earlier. Ephesians 3.20 we read something similar where Paul writes to the Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Exceeding abundantly above. Both Peter and Paul struggle to, to put it into words. The power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So that we indeed become partakers of the divine nature. Not to be God, but to be like God. Reflecting his image, knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. That image of a lost in paradise. The first Adam reinstated and restored in the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. That again, by faith... By, by grace, through faith, begin to reflect what we were created for. So the world around us may see and hear that we've been with Jesus. There's something to reflect upon. When you go back to work or wherever you are, you go to your friends, or would they be able to see and hear in you that you've been with Jesus today?
having escaped, verse 4, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust or evil desires, saved from sin and sorrow to holiness and true happiness. If indeed we're in Christ. And then when we are in Christ and we get to know him better and more intimately, the better we know him, the better we'll be able to imitate him and represent him and reflect him. So knowing God begins with faith. But second, it develops other graces. It develops or produces other graces. Just like a a baby that's born, we don't say that's the end, but that's really the beginning of the life upon earth. Of course, we know that the life already begins in the womb, but then when, when you hold the baby in your arm, and you hold your baby in your arm, and it's half a year later, and the baby didn't grow, doesn't flourish, you get worried. There's something wrong. And the baby doesn't grow up. If it doesn't gain weight. And so we should be. If spiritually, we're not growing up. So even though God gives life and keeps us alive, we must be active about it. We must eat and drink. We must work. We must sleep. When we say, give us this day our daily bread... We're not going to sit back and wait. The only time that it really came down straight from heaven was in the, in the wilderness. You remember that? Manna came down. But now we got to work, make money, buy food. If the active, even though we know that God gives it all. So spiritually, we see this in the verses 5 through 7. Seven graces. It says, and beside this, or in addition to that, give all diligence, be very diligent, work hard, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Make every effort with all your might. Do what? Add, add to your faith virtue? So it is then faith plus works? He says add to it, but it really the word add means produce it. It's not faith plus work, but faith that works. Not faith plus works, but faith that works. That's productive. Those seven graces, somebody said, are not beads on a string where you put one bead after another on a string. Or 
stations along a railway when you go to one station to the next, like, like the Gnostics taught in John's and Peter's days where you needed to add that to your faith for, before it could be real faith. And only when you pass through these seven stations you can say that you're a true believer. But rather, he says, no, they're not beads on a string or stations along a railway, but branches on a tree. Growing out of that tree, the tree being the faith of God that he has given indeed, too. He gives the faith and the graces that are being produced by means of faith, by way of faith. So the word add means develop or produce. So those Christians say, let, let go, let God are wrong. It's not something that you just let go and let God do it. You have to be active in it. Let your faith, he says, diligently, generously, and also gratefully for what God has done for us that would prompt us out of gratitude to do unto him, to give unto him our whole lives without ever being able to pay for it. To produce all these graces that the Holy Spirit works. I think the Apostle Paul expresses this very well when he um, says in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, this, this verse is something that you should really remember. Work out your own salvation. It doesn't say work your own salvation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's like being plugged in and switched on. You can put an appliance, you can plug it in, but if it's not switched on, it won't do anything. Neither will it do anything if you switch it on, but you don't plug it in. You need to plug in and switch it on. Both. So God will work in and we work it out. And it's his good pleasure. Pleasure? Is it yours? So the first one is virtue. Virtue or moral excellence. Really, holiness. Just like a tool that is designed for a specific task, so we are designed to be holy. It's a, it's a blueprint. That's how we were made. That's our design. We ruined it because of sin. But through Christ, it's reinstated. So to fulfill our purpose in life, to glorify God and enjoy him forever, to love our neighbor. The second one is knowledge, also in verse 5. Now the word knowledge there is not the same in the original as the, the, the two times the word knowledge in verses 2 and 3. In verses 2 and 3 it speaks about a spiritual knowledge, a knowing God spiritually. You could say that's kind of the theory about it. 
But the word here in verse 5 is practical knowledge. Knowing something by experience, by doing, by acting. It's one thing to know it's good. It's another thing to do it. Jesus said after he washed the disciples' feet, if you know this, happy if you do them. So knowledge. We could also say the one is understanding, the other is wisdom. How to apply it. That's the kind of knowledge here. That flows from knowing God through knowing Christ. And that, that becomes visible in our actions, in our words, in our motives. Of course, it doesn't become visible, but to yourself. It's not only about doing the right thing, but why would you do that? And how do you do it? The third one, in verse 6, the third grace is temperance or self-control. You know all how that goes, right? In, even with children and older ones, we like to control other people. We would like to control the conversation. But by grace, we begin to learn to control ourselves and find out that that's much harder than trying to control somebody else. That's really the word here. We want to learn to control ourselves. Proverbs 16, verse 32, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He that rules his spirit than he who takes a city. If you control yourself, then you're mightier and more powerful than winning a war. You know what I find the most beautiful picture, or maybe the most, but one of the most beautiful pictures of self-control is when Jesus hung on the cross. And they were mocking him and tempting him. Come down from that cross. Jesus could have done that. From human perspective. Not from divine perspective. But but it took more to stay on the cross than if he had to come off. He manifested a self-control. In the face of temptation. Don't we have that sometimes to show? I'll show you what I, what I know and what I want and what I mean. But then to hold back. Through the faith, grace. The fourth grace is <clears throat> patience or steadfastness. That word patience or steadfastness has two aspects. It has a passive and an active aspect. And think about patience. It's not only to endure it, to suffer it passively, but also actively to persevere. It's not only to endure, but also to persevere, to keep going, to not give up. I found an interesting quote here. Self-control is about how we... Deal with the pleasures of life. So self-control is about how we deal with the pleasures of life. 
patience about how we deal with the pressures of life. Self-control is about how we deal with the pleasures of life, hold back. Patience is how we deal with the pressures, the problems, the temptations of life. Well, this is not easy. It's hard. One of the ways that the Lord teaches us patience is he gives us a spouse. Another one, he gives us children. Perhaps you thought you were quite patient until you had children. You'll find out how little patience you have. So it's hard. It's not a natural thing, at least not in our sinful nature. But spiritually, when we are regenerated, we have the power and the graces from that faith, through that faith, to grow in it. That's why in in 1 Peter, he, he speaks in the first chapter already about tests and trials to be purged from sin like gold in the furnace. So the dross would be removed, or the gold may become more pure, so our faith would become more pure. The fifth grace is godliness. The word godliness is actually the same as godlikeness. Holiness. Be holy for I am holy. God could equally say, be happy for I am happy. Do you believe that holiness is happiness? For many years... I thought I had to choose between the two, holiness or happiness. But the more I read the Bible and the more I study and grow in the grace of God, I see that holiness is happiness. I could not imagine one more happy and content and filled with pleasure, holy pleasure. We often think about pleasure, the pleasure of sin, but God created pleasure. We just read from Philippians 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works it in you both to will, to want it, and to do it of his good pleasure. Think about the word paradise or garden of Eden. You know what that means? Garden of Eden. Garden of pleasures. Garden of delights. And what paradise is the same thing in Persian. That's what Adam and Eve had before they sinned. And that's what's being restored in Christ. Do you believe that? Do you pursue that? Deep down, we all long for happiness. But where and how do you seek it? In knowing God. Searching his will. Searching his word. Not just read the word, but search it. Meditate on it. Reflect upon it. Pray for the application of it. That you may see and hear what God is saying there to you while you read it. Do you really believe it? That when you read your Bible, that actually God is speaking to you? And you say, yes, I do. I trust you do. But do you really Believe it. 
if you reflect upon it while you read your Bible, God is speaking to me. Not just speaking to the people way back then, but to me right now. What is he saying to me? And then sixth, brotherly kindness or brotherly affection. And in verse 7, it says to godliness, brotherly kindness or brotherly affection. The word brotherly affection or kindness is actually one word in the Greek and you probably all know it. We have a city in the United States named that way. Philadelphia. Phila from Phileo is affectionate love. Delphia, brothers. Brotherly love. Philadelphia. In 1 Peter 1, he writes also about the same thing. Seeing you have purified or purged your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned or sincere love of the brethren. Love of the brethren is one word again. Philadelphia. So he goes from the phila, a phileo love, he goes to the agape love there. He says, since you've done that, see to it that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. And the word love there is agape, and that's also the word for the next, the seventh grace, charity or love. So there's more to Christian growth than brotherly love and kindness. There's also agape. So brothers and sisters love each other with a brotherly way. You can love your friends and so forth. But agape is much deeper. It's, it's not just affection, not just loving because that person is likable. I love you because I like you. Agape love is even loving when I don't like you. We're called to love our enemies even. How could you do that with feelings? It's sacrificial love. It's to love someone in spite of who the other person. That's what God, through Christ, does with us. He loves the unlovable. That is knowing God. Starting with faith. Developing other graces. And then, third and last, produces practical blessings. Practical, and the first blessing is fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. It says in verse 8, For if these things, all these seven graces, be in you and abound, like multiply, increase, they make you that you shall neither be barren, ineffective, nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not just about knowing, but there's got to be something that comes out of it. You see, it's not just about having these seven graces. But it's also about abounding in it. Growing. Just like that baby has to grow. A spiritual baby has to grow. Become more and more mature. In a faith that produces these graces. Growing in the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ produces fruit. 
And this is the key, I think, to happiness. It is blessed by God to be a blessing to others. Through sin, we have become so self-focused. And we see that, of course, in our society being multiplied now. The self is elevated above everything. And people don't realize that it's the way to unhappiness. The way to happiness is to deny self, to love God above all, and our neighbor as ourselves. And I think that means as we already love ourselves. So the same love that you love yourself, so you have to love other people. And above that, love God. And then you'll be blessed, which is the same as happy, to be a blessing, to make others happy. If you do a little Bible word study in the Old Testament, the word blessed and happy, it's the same root word many times. In the Old Testament, Hebrew, as well as in the New Testament, Greek. To be blessed is to be happy. Truly happy. The happiness for which God has created us. Fruitfulness. Let's examine ourselves. All of us, myself included. To what extent it's true for us. I read this. A believer who fails to grow in spiritual life doesn't just stand still. We're either growing or backsliding. There is no neutral middle ground in the Christian life. You either grow or you backslide. There's no floating along the river. It's an active life. It's living and growing or dying out. Are you content with where you are spiritually? You think you're doing pretty good. You pray, check. I read my Bible every day, check. Go to church, check. Partake even of the Lord's Supper, check. But are you, am I fighting the good fight of faith? Not just fighting the fight of faith, the good fight of faith. Fighting the enemies outside, 1 Peter, and inside, 2 Peter. Are we involved in that holy war? Are you giving all diligence, every effort to prayer and studying the word of God to be strong against the weeds that may choke the growth of grace and the knowledge of Jesus. You know the parable of the seeds and the sower and the soils. Do you allow the birds to pick away the seed? At the end of the service today, this morning. Is it falling in rocky places, stony places? You see, to grow in the grace and knowledge is different for each one of us. We each have our own unique gifts and talents. Just like each one of our children, in one way or other, look like us, yet they are different. As parents, you have to learn that sometimes. You don't expect certain things 
of your children that come easy for you and not for them. They're different. They have different talents, producing different fruit. But fruitful they will be. They follow the Lord Jesus. And search the scriptures to know God. That's one practical blessing, fruitfulness. Blessed to be a blessing. The second one is perspective. Because it's a solemn reminder here in verse 9. Because all these things speak about the beautiful things about being fruitful. But then it says verse 9, but. And you know always when you see the word but there, then you know it's something opposite. There's something here to, to be alert. But he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. If these qualities abound, you'll be fruitful. But if not, it says you can't see afar off. You're blind or, or short-sighted. You can't see anymore what, what God wants you to see and, and, and do. You lost your vision. Maybe you never had it. You lost the perspective on what is eternal and perfect. You lost eternity perspective. Earthly minded instead of heavenly minded. Forgotten that you were purged from your old sins. Maybe forgotten what it really means to be saved from what? Not just from sin, but from being on a path to hell and to be led on the way to heaven. Ought that not work excitement in us? I'm no longer on the way to hell and condemnation, but I'm on the way to heaven and happiness and holiness. But it'll have impact on your life. That we seen, that we heard. Remember, John wrote to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2. He says, I have something against you because you have left your first love. Repent and do the first work, or else I come to you quickly and will remove your lampstand out of your place, except you repent. So when you're convicted, Confess it. Say, Lord, I, I know I, I, I should return to my roots, to the first love. Help me, Lord, with that. Forgive me for being so superficial, so carnal, so worldly-minded. God will receive you again and again. So fruitfulness, perspective, but then thirdly, assurance. For assurance will increase. As you can see in the next verse, it says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, confirm. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. So it's true that we are saved by grace through faith, but it is a faith that works, that has effect in our lives. And the more fruitful we are, the more aware of the eternal perspective, and the more we live like that, the more assured we are of our way and place before God. Our standing with God. That's why we're called to make our calling election sure. That doesn't mean that our salvation is more sure. 
Because it's always sure in Christ. When we put our trust in him, it's always sure. But our assurance relates a lot to how we live. We can't pretend to be sure of salvation when we live a superficial, worldly life. can't pre- pretend to be assured if you're lazy or lukewarm. Another quote I found here is, it's not our profession of faith, but our progression in faith that gives assurance. Not our profession, but our progression gives assurance. If the child doesn't grow, we're not sure if, the, if, it, if it's all right. We take it to the doctor. There's something wrong. Child ought to grow so spiritually. And it's really what James already said to wait, faith without works is dead. It doesn't just say faith without works is, is not good enough, it's dead. So, how can we make our calling and election sure? Again, Philippians 2 12, uh, 12 and 13. Working out what God is working in us. Using the means. Coming to church is one. Spending time alone with God. With his word. As a family, individually. Work out your own salvation for God works in us. To will and to do. He's even willing to make us willing to do it. Even when you don't feel like it, do it anyway. I can't tell you how many times I've come to God in, in prayer and to his word that I actually was so distracted and I had other things on mind and I felt like I had to do my devotions. And then, and then to be amazed that God still blesses you. To will and to do of his good pleasure. It's my, de- my desire for you all and for myself included that we may know this. These seven graces, the Holy Spirit, Spirit dwelling in us, they don't save us. Jesus does. Even when we say saved by grace through faith, we're not saved by works, but we're not saved by faith plus works. We're not saved by faith itself but by Jesus who saves when I say I I believe in Jesus then I believe that he will do what he says I don't even put my trust in my faith but in the God who works it and then Peter says you shall never fall that's interesting because I was wondering, maybe you too, how can it be? I, we fall many times, but the word there really in the original is stumble. You'll never stumble. We all fall, but we will not fall finally, ultimately. We will stumble and fall occasionally. Because that's what he says then in verse 11, and that's the conclusion of the matter. For so an entrance shall be ministered to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the way by grace through faith. 
looking to Jesus, following Jesus, not only knowing him as Savior and as Lord, but also as example. So that looking to him by faith, not by seeing, as I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, but by believing what we read, what he says is true. If indeed your life is one of repentance and faith, repentance of sin, turning away from sin again and again to the Lord and confessing your sin and say, Lord, I failed in so many ways as I prayed earlier, not only the sins of commission, the things that we have done that we should not have done, but also the sins of omission. The older I get, the more I see those. The things that I've not done that I should have done. Confess it. The Lord forgives. I'm not minimizing sin. Sin is horrific. But we cannot deny its existence, even in the most advanced of believers. But to maximize grace, there is forgiveness with God, that he may be feared. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. As a holy awe before God. The Lord our God is an awesome God for those who believe. He is an awful God for those who will not believe. But if this is what you desire, if this is, say, Lord, please, this is the life I want to live, then you will hear at the end Jesus saying, like he says in Matthew 25 about that parable, but he'll say that to us too. Verse 23, and I'll close with these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for, thy, for your word, for the convicting but also comforting power of it help us lord to examine ourselves and to come to you through christ confessing our sins and putting our trust for the first time or afresh in him and give us the grace to follow to become imitators followers of the lord jesus we pray that for every one of us here this afternoon. I pray also, Lord, for a blessing upon the entire worship service, the singing, the praying, the preaching, and also the giving, tithes and offerings. We pray, Lord, that you'd bless the giving as the deacons will go around and collect them. And we pray this all in the forgiveness of our sins for Jesus' sake. Amen.